0: now called stewardship, steward little, we're stewarding a lot, stewarding a little, are your stewardship principles in place, every one of us that follows Jesus Christ has chosen to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we've been given opportunities, relationships, and resources that we are expected to steward, and based upon what God has given us, we have to steward it, whether it's a little or it's a lot, it is our, rep- our responsibility to steward. And as getting ready for this sermon tonight, I had a, I had a, a, a thought, and I just needed to give a shout-out. This person has no idea that I'm saying this, and quite frankly, it was like the last song. I made a note in my, in my binder, and I'm not going to look at this person, I'm going to say it. Mia has been stewarding the responsibility of building the new building and getting the contractors working, and all the work going on at the new building. Mia has been doing a phenomenal job of stewarding that opportunity, and i got to give you a shout-out. So we can give, me a, give it up for Mia real quick. Huh? <laughs> Kina says she's going to kill me. That's all right. I don't know why. I just had to shout her out. Mia, you're amazing. I appreciate everything you do out there. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. We're going to start. I'm going to read this verse. This is a recap from last week. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And what are true riches? Eternal riches. You know what the greatest thing that we have on this planet, the only thing that we can take with us into heaven, are people. True riches. Who can trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Father, these aren't my words, they're yours. And God, I'm not going to try and communicate them away a way that that I would, God, I just pray your Holy Spirit speak a sermon tonight to people individually that they need to hear. Father God, come now and move in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight we're talking about stewarding, but we're not going to talk about just the principle. We're going to hone in on a very specific and very general topic called relationships. Somebody say relationships. Now, everybody's got relationships. Relationships are interesting. They're very different. They're dynamic. They change. They're they're necessary. They're they're, they're required for life. Everyone's got relationships. Everyone's got different relationships. You have a, let me say this, in life you're going to have thousands of relationships, but you're only going to have a few friends. Tonight what I want to talk about, what I want to hone in on the most is the difference between a relationship that you steward and a friendship that you steward. John chapter 15 verse 13 says this greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends see jesus set the ultimate example of what a true friend looked like jesus was a great example of friendship he was constantly forgiving constantly forgiving jesus was faithful he called out the best in his disciples he never compromised his standard and then at the end of it all he gave his life for his friends Greater love has no one than this that you lay down your life for your friends. You steward what you see value in. You steward what you see value in. Tonight I want to talk about the most significant and weighty, yet broad and all-encompassing topic that we can ever possibly steward in our relationships. And let me say this too. Here at Limitless, we exist to create disciples who follow Jesus, not fans of a church. We're here to make disciples of Jesus Christ, not fans of a church. And with the world going the way it's going, if we're not on our guard with who we allow to influence our lives, we may not be in a posture to make the impact that the world needs when the time comes. Your relationships carry with them so much more weight than I think we realize sometimes. So as I start this message tonight, please see it from this angle that who you allow to influence your life and who you allow to have relationship in your life is far more important thing than sometimes we stop and acknowledge. Who you allow to influence you will determine who you become. My dad told me it this way, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Are you stewarding your relationships in such a way that they draw you closer to God's will or are they causing you to compromise in your life? So stop for a minute real quick. And look at your friendships. I'm talking about your relationships. I have a relationship with the guy at Starbucks today that made me wait in line for 20 minutes that I was angry at by the time I got to my coffee. You could ask people. I showed up today to unload the trailer and I was in a bad mood because I sat in a Starbucks line for 20 minutes and I had a momentary relationship with this guy that I had to steward properly. So I bit my tongue and didn't say what I wanted to say until I left the line I said it under my breast and my sons couldn't hear me. You have a lot of relationships. But you only have so many friendships, and there's a significant difference between those two things. We have a misconception of what a real relationship looks like. Tonight I don't want to talk about those two things. True friendships are difficult to find. See when I was studying get ready for this, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I had a hard time getting ready for this word. had a really hard time getting ready. There's something going on. There was something fighting all week. I'm not trying to make some hyper-spiritual thing about it. There was something going on this week that made it difficult for me to prepare this word. And I don't know why, but when you think about relationship and friendship, we don't talk about that a whole lot in the church. There's a lot of other what we consider bigger topics. However, what I believe is that the people you allow close to you determine who you become. And so for some reason, we in the church have allowed a lot of compromise in the area of our friendships outside the church, and it ends up impacting our our ability to follow God's call on our life because we get torn between the call of God and the people that we want to like us. And we get to a spot where our fear of people's rejection becomes greater than our fear of the Lord, and we have no longer allowed ourselves to have a standard of relationship because we've watered down our compromise, we've watered down our standards to such a place that we'll let anybody speak into our life as long as it's 30 seconds on a TikTok video and we can agree with it, or they line up with our political opinion. As long as they agree with us, we're friends. Our friends are far more important to the future of our life than I think we realize. So in the time that I was preparing this, in the time I was getting ready to study, this is what I realized. I'm I over this every moment of the whole week, and this is what I learned. Friendships are hard to find, but they're very easy to make compromises in. Friendships are really, true friendships are difficult to find, but they're really easy to make compromises in so you can have them. Ten years ago, I made a new friend. I didn't realize it, but I made a real friend. See, in my life, I defined friend as somebody that I allowed to influence and invest in my life. Somebody who can speak into my life has earned the right to speak into my life and call me out on my mess and challenge me in my areas of weakness and build me up when I'm down and when I need encouragement. The person that I call friend is somebody who has earned that right. That's my definition of friend. I don't have many friends. I have a lot of relationships. I don't have many friends. But 10 years ago, I made a friend. 10 years ago, I was a youth pastor at a church in Rockland. And I had this rapper named J6. He was supposed to show up for service. And two hours before service starts at 5 o'clock, he calls me. He goes, hey, man, I can't make it. I got a family emergency. I'm sorry. I I can't do it. And so I hung up the phone, and I was really upset and disappointed that my friend Johnny was bailing on me two hours before service. And one of my staff members, his name was Isaac Lorenzo, he looks at me and goes, hey, I know a rapper who will show up. I said, call him. I didn't ask if he was good. I said, call him. (laughs) Calls some dude on the phone and hangs up the phone and goes, he'll be here by 6.30. So he shows up at 6, which is one of the first times and only times he was ever early. It blew my mind. He showed up at 6 o'clock. Pre-service prayer started at 6 o'clock. This man shows up at 6 o'clock. You don't even know who I'm talking about yet. He showed up at 6 o'clock. He's in pre-service prayer. We're getting after it. 60 teenagers and me in a sanctuary, we're getting after it, getting ready for the presence of God. He's there. I'm going, this is a fluke. He showed up early. He didn't realize it. He thought service was a six. He's wrong. That's okay, though. He gets in worship and he's jumping up and down with the kids. And then he gets up and he does his set. And now most guys, you got to understand, when you're a youth pastor and you have a rapper come out, most guys do their set and then they leave right after their set and they go home. This guy sat in the front row and listened to the whole sermon. It was a great message, I might say. It was a great sermon. But he sat there and listened to the whole sermon. I thought, this is, this is a fluke. This guy's not real. This isn't real. And we get, done with the, we get done with the sermon, give an altar call, and he's down at the altar praying with teenagers. He's laying hands on people at the altar praying for teenagers. And then we get done with the altar call, and he comes up and he thanks me for giving him the opportunity to minister to my students. That started a relationship that 10 years later brings me to this place, standing behind his pulpit, preaching to his church and his city. There are some people that God is going to put in your life that you have no idea the plan that God has for those people in your life. And how you choose to steward those relationships will determine whether or not those relationships relationships end up doing and being what God intended for them to do and be. Not every relationship you have is lifelong. There are some that are momentary, there are some that are short-term, and then there are some that are lifelong. Right down here are two people, these are lifelong relationships. One of them, I made a covenant before God and she can't go anywhere. She's stuck for the rest of her life. That's where she's at. That's it. The other one's a choice. God will bring people into your life and how you choose to steward those relationships will determine whether or not you get out of the relationship what God intended you to get out of it. And whether or not you can invest in the, perp- in the person the way God needed you to invest in the person. Relationships are a two-way street. It's not one way, it's two way. It's you giving to them and you receiving from them. There's a two way street. Relationships work both ways. So tonight as we talk about stewarding friendships, there are two things, just two things that I want to focus in on. In order for us to properly steward our relationships, there's two things we have to understand. The first one is this. We have to have an accurate understanding, an accurate perspective of ourselves. We have to have an accurate perspective of who we are. Relationships are two-way. And if you don't see yourself with clear eyes and an accurate perspective, it will cause every interaction or relationship you ever have to be unbalanced and prone to unhealth. Now I'm talking about the way you view you. The way you see you. I say a whole lot of things I'm not going to say. I'm just going to read what the Bible has to say. Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Yeah. But I like, I like the way the Passion Translation says, my pastor reads the Passion Translation, so I'm going to read the Passion Translation. God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to empty uh, to, to be empty of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. Instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as a standard of measurement, and then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. Why does it say self-esteem? Because sometimes we compromise and we get into relationships that build our self-esteem but kill our spirit. Sometimes we get ourselves into some relationships and because we don't see ourselves appropriately, we enter into relationships that build our self-esteem but they kill our spirit. Because we're looking for affirmation, we're looking for someone to give us kudos, we're looking for attaboys, we're looking for cookies from people to tell us that we're good and we're awesome and we're all right. And it's okay, that's just the way you're made. You just be you. It's okay for you to be that. Nah, man, they're crazy. You don't got to listen to them. You just do what feels good to you. Can I tell you something? That may build your self-esteem, but ain't going to build your spirit. That may make you feel good in your flesh, but ain't going to carry you through difficult seasons. Because the same people who give you praise will one day be giving you criticism. And if you live on their praise, you'll die on their criticism. There was a season in my life where I found my worth based on how people at the back door of church complimented me on my sermon. And they would tell me, that was the greatest sermon I ever heard. And you know what was dumb? I believed them. And those same people that said, that was the greatest message, Pastor, that spoke to my heart. The moment I got up and said something they didn't like, they wouldn't shake my hand on the way out the door. They say something about me on their way home. They had roasted Pastor Ryan at lunch that day. Every one of them, the same people who praise you one week will be criticizing you the next. So if you're looking for your self-esteem from people, you better believe the same people that build your self-esteem are going to kill you at the same time. So don't listen to people to get your self-value. You got to go to who God says you are. You got to go to who God says you are. So I want to pose a very simple question to each of us tonight. Very simple question. How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? What lens do you look at yourself through? Do you see yourself through the eyes of Scripture and what God says about you? Or looking at yourself through the lens of a phone that that you're trying to compare yourself to somebody else every single day? What do you use as the measuring stick of your life to determine the level of awesome that you see yourself at? Some of us think we are, we're just awesome. Some of us think I am it. I am all that and the bag of chips with a Gatorade on the side. I am everything. I am amazing. Some of us think we're all that, and we're really not. You know why? Because God says the only measurement that you should hold yourself up to is the amount of faith that you're living by. Man, I got it together. I got my bills paid. I got my car clean. I got my house paid. I got a nice job. My 401K is looking better than it did yesterday. My wife's happy. My kids are doing good. They got straight teeth. Whatever, man. Look, (laughs) the measurement that the world holds itself up to is not the measurement we're called to hold ourselves up to. How awesome you are is determined in God's eyes by how much faith you live in. How much faith are you practicing? How much faith does it require you to practice? Are you living in faith or are you living in comfort? Because that's how God says you need to measure yourself. Far too often, myself included on this, we do not use what Paul suggested we use, which is using our God-given faith as a standard of measurement. Too often, rather, we measure ourselves. When measuring ourselves, we use other people as a standard by which we determine our success, our failure, our value, our worth, or our importance, which will always have a negative impact on the way that we handle and steward our relationships. I'm just gonna read it this way because I wrote, it, I wrote it well enough to read it. As difficult as it is, I can't measure myself up, up against Pastor Keenan and expect to have a healthy relationship with him. I can't measure myself up with this man. I can't. Can I tell you something? I don't have the same amount of faith he has. I don't. I, I, haven't, I haven't been put in a situation where I had to. I've been put in a situation where God says, go plant a church. And I go to God and say, I need $200,000. I haven't been put in that situation. So if I start comparing myself to him and start measuring myself up to him, that's going to create a very unhealthy relationship. Here's why. Because my insecurities will always paint him in a way that makes me feel better about me. My insecurities are always going to paint me in a light that feels better about me regardless of where you're at. So if I compare myself to you, our relationship cannot be in a healthy place because I'm not looking at you through the eyes of the Father, and I'm not looking at myself through the eyes of the Father. I can't measure my marriage up to my parents' marriage, or I'll begin to have unrealistic expectations of my wife and myself in my own marriage. I did that at the very beginning. I held my wife up to a standard that wasn't fair. I held my wife up to a standard. When we were first married, we were six months into our marriage. And I was sitting in my armchair watching TV. And my wife is an amazing woman. She, she made me lunch and she brings it out to me and she gives it to me. It was an amazing lunch. It was a great sandwich. And I ate my sandwich and I put the plate on the table next to me. The next day, she came out. She brought me another sandwich. Just, was just taking care of me, honoring it, you know, just, give it, just loving me and giving me food. It's my love language. And I took the food, I ate it, and I put the plate down next to me. Five days later, there were five plates stacked on the table right next to me. Now, my mother, my mother is a five-foot-two little lady that's got more energy than all of us combined. And my mother will bring my father food in his armchair and give it to him, and she'll be moving around. By the time my dad's done eating, she does this drive-by plate grab where she just takes it right out of his hand when he's done and goes right to the sink and cleans the dish. So in my foolishness... I expected my wife to have this skill down that when she brought me food, she would know about the drive-by dish grab, and she would take it right to the thing, and it clean the dish. Day five, she comes out, and she just looks at me. I look right back at her. I didn't know better. She just looked right at me, and I said, we got a problem. She goes, I'm glad you realized. I said, why are the dishes here? She goes, I was going to ask you the same question. I said, we need to figure this out. She goes, I already got it figured out. I said, you're not taking my dishes? She said, I brought you the food. Why do I have to take the dishes? When we start comparing our relationships and we start comparing ourselves to other people, we never get an accurate depiction. We never get to the point where the relationship is meant to be what it's meant to be. Why? Because no two people are created the same. You know your fingerprints are different than mine? God made us unique. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Which means that if I compare myself to you, I'm never going to live up to my potential because I'm trying to live up to yours. If I try to live up to your potential, now I'm looking at you and judging everything you do through a very inaccurate lens that God never intended for me to look at you through. So what do I need to do? I need to take a step back and go, how do I measure myself? Well, here's what Paul says that I need to do in Romans. I need to look at the measure of faith that I live my daily life by, and that is how I measure myself. How much faith am I living in? And that is what creates an accurate depiction of me. The point being, in order to steward our relationships in a godly way, we need to have a sober perspective of ourselves and measure ourselves according to our faith. Second thing is this. We have to have an accurate perspective of others. We have to have an accurate perspective of of other people. Now, before I dive into this point, I want to make something crystal clear. If you are going to relationships to receive the love and the worth that you can only find from God, people will always let you down. And write this down. If you're writing this down, you write it down. You can't get from the creation what you can only get from the creator. If you're busy going to other people... To find value, worth, validation, significance, and love, you will never find it because God set Himself up to be that for you. So if you're not going to God for those things, you're going to people, you can never receive from the creation what was only intended to be given by its creator. God is your provider, God is your strength. God is your guide. God is your counsel. So quit expecting people to be the things that God set himself up to be for you. In order to properly steward any relationship, you must first see the other person in in the relationship as a child of God. They hold eternal value in the eyes of the Father. Genesis 127 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now we have that covered. I want to hone in on a very specific thought, the difference in relationships and friendships. When stewarding relationships, there will be times when people become closer to you and begin to sharpen you and build you and make you better. And then there's everybody else. And can I tell you something? That's okay. It's okay not to be close with everybody. It's okay for everyone not to like you. It's okay not to be tight with everyone. It's okay to have a very small group of people that invest in you, and then there's everybody else. There's nothing wrong with that. See, Jesus walked this planet for for 33 and a half years, and all that we have accounted in Scripture that we know were his tight ones were 12. But there were a whole lot more people that followed him that called themselves his disciples. Because there's a portion of scripture that Jesus said he sent out the 72. So there were a whole lot more people that followed Jesus all over the place and followed his teachings and believed and practiced and did what he called them to do. But we only hear about 12 by name. And within those 12, there were three. Peter, James, and John. What does that tell me? tells me that we can have a lot of relationships, but there's only a few friendships. Jesus had a lot of people around him, but he only had a few friends. In your life you will have thousands of relationships, but you can only have a few friendships. Both need to be stewarded, but they're not the same. See the world defines friends in a very different way than Jesus defines friends. The world says that we're friends because we like the same things. We like the same sports teams, we like the same food, we like the same music, so we're friends. That's what the world says. The world says we're friends because I asked to follow you on a social network. The world says we're friends because you liked my picture and said, slay queen. You're killing it. That's what the world says. (laughs) We're friends because we both talk trash about the same person. Can I tell you something real quick? Gossip doesn't make friends, gossip makes insecurities. Gossip doesn't make you friends. Gossip just builds your insecurity. Because I promise you, the moment that you're not with them, guess who they're talking about behind your back? Talking trash about people behind their back doesn't make you friends. That just makes you insecure. The world says that we're friends because I hold very little standards for who I allow to speak into my life. I'll take the attention that I need because I don't know my true value. But Jesus, hear this and track this. This is powerful stuff. Jesus based friendship on one very simple thing who helped him achieve the will of God in his life? That's how Jesus defined a friend. So I'm going to read you two two scriptures, and I want you to track with me on these Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through through 23. It says, from that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Matthew chapter 26, verse 47 through 50 says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Now, if you were to ask me, in all of the Bible stories you have ever heard about Jesus and his disciples, which one of the two of them was Jesus' friend, we would all say Peter. But Jesus called Judas' friend. Because Jesus defined friendship by who helped him achieve the will of the Father in his life. Peter stepped into his life. Jesus says, I have to be tortured, I have to be killed so I can raise again on the third day. And Peter goes, that will never happen to you. I won't let it happen. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. But Judas shows up and gives him a kiss and hands him over to the very people Jesus said he had to be handed over to. And Jesus called him a friend because Jesus Judas helped Jesus achieve the will of the father in his life who do you call friend how are you defining friends proverbs 27:17 says as iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another see iron sharpens iron which means there's sparks that fly and they grind and it's difficult but it makes you better Being friends with people who just make you feel good isn't iron sharpening iron, that's called a fan. Fans make you feel good about yourself, friends challenge you to be better. I don't want fans of my life. Can I say something? Scripture is clear, the enemy multiplies kisses but wounds from a friend can be trusted. I'm going to say that again. Scripture is clear, the enemies multiply kisses but wounds from a friend can be trusted. Most of my friends never flatter me. They never talk me up. They never build my ego. They challenge me in my areas of weakness and they call me out when I'm not living my life in obedience to God's word. But they are always in the fight with me when I need them. Fans, sit on the sidelines. Who are your friends? See, I, I know that in my darkest, most difficult season that I walked through just two and a half years ago, one of the first people to call me was this man. I got another friend's is Justin Blattel. He walked with me every single day through one of the most difficult seasons of my life. My wife stood with me through one of the most difficult seasons because she's my friend. Now I had fans. Oh, Ryan, you're amazing. Oh, Ryan, you're a great preacher. Oh, Ryan, you're a great leader. Oh, Ryan, you can lead this church. Oh, Ryan, you can do this. Oh, Ryan, you're great at that. Ryan, you're going to lead a revival. Ryan, you're this and you're that. Guess where they were when I needed them? They were on the sideline. And they had changed their tone. And they were shouting the very things that my enemies were shouting at me. I don't talk to those people anymore. I don't hear from those people anymore. They don't tell me how great my preaching is. You know why? Because they don't care. Because what they could get from me is no longer available to them. Who do you call friend? A true friend will sit in the middle of a jail cell with you with chains on their feet and sing praises to God like Paul and Silas. A true friend will warn you when people are planning to harm you like David and Jonathan. A true friend will hold your arms up when you get tired so the Lord can continue to work through you like Moses and Aaron and Her. A true friend will declare that they believe the promises of the Lord regardless of how big the enemy seems to everybody else like Joshua and Caleb did. Yeah. If you look around and you don't like the way the people in your circle look, ask yourself, have you stewarded the relationships well or have you abdicated the responsibility of relationship to other people? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says this. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Who are you tying yourself to in your relationships? Who have you decided to yoke yourself to? And I'm not just talking about marriages and I'm not just talking about dating relationships. I'm talking about friendships. Who is it that when you go to war standing shoulder to shoulder with you? Who have you yoked yourself to? Because those people will determine whether or not you stand at the end of that fight or if you're on your knees begging for help. You choose who, you in, who influences your life. And you get to choose whose who's life you want to influence. If you don't like who's influencing you, that's your responsibility to change. Nick, I have you come back up, brother. That blew right through my point where I needed you to come up. I got five minutes. I'm going to shut this down. Five minutes. You guys Okay. Have I offended anybody yet? I'm, a, I'm Okay, well, I'm going to try now. <laughs> when it comes to choosing relationships, there's a lot of people who like to use Jesus as an example of why it's okay for them to hang out with people who are not like them in faith. Jesus hung out with prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Jesus hung out with tax collectors. I don't have any IRS friends. If I did, I promise I'd tell you. (laughs) Jesus hung out with, with sinners and rejects and vagabonds and people who weren't wanted in the... Yeah, he did. So why can't I hang out with my friends at the bar? Why can't I hang out with my friends when they go gamble? Why can't I hang out when I... Why can't I watch the things they watch? Why can't I talk the way they talk? Pastor Ryan, I'm just trying to be all things to all men. Wrong. No. See, in every instance that you use Jesus, Jesus was the agent of change, not the agent being changed. Can you stop for a minute and honestly say to yourself that when you hang out with your friends who are unbelievers that they don't have an influence on you? Because in every instance that Jesus was spending time with people who were sinners, he drew them out of their environment into his environment. He didn't go to their environment. Understand, Jesus never stepped foot in the brothel. The prostitutes came to him. And they said, there's something different about this man. I need what he has. And he changed their life. Understand, he talked about Zacchaeus. Jesus didn't go to the tax collector booth to get Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed a tree to find him. Jesus drew people out of their environment into his where he could then make an impact in their life. Proverbs 18, 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend sticks closer than a brother the friend who sticks closer than a brother is Jesus greater love has no one than this that he lays down his life for his friends close your eyes with me please my prayer, people, altar workers, come to the front. I wrestled with your eyes closed. I just want to be honest with you. I wrestled with how to close this message. This was a difficult message for me to put together, and I think there's a reason for it. The enemy knows that if we allow people into our world should not be impacting, influencing, speaking into our lives that we will never live up to the potential or the purpose that God has called us to. Church, with your eyes closed, just hear me. Who you allow to be your friend is totally your business. It's your decision. I choose very carefully who's my friend. I consider it a privilege to be my friend, not because I'm awesome, Because if you're my friend, you get to speak into my life. Who you allow to speak in your life needs to be an honor, not a right. At the same time, I think this message on stewarding relationships was heavy this week because we're in the middle of a family season where you get together with family and there are some broken families. So here's how.